Welcome to the Film of the Year edition of the Twin Geekcast with Calvin and David. This week we got your best 2018 coming in hot. You got a representation of all our favorite films as a staff. We're excited to share with you. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This is KRLM coming from sunny Seattle. We have a special show for you today on the film of the year. Uh, we just watched Clint Eastwood's uh, play Misty for me. What do you think? Uh, it kind of sucked, even for a directorial debut, man. <laughs> yeah, what about all the jive talk and the, you know, pussycat? And... <laughs> it was weird. It is <laughs> odd, disjointed, very amateurish kind of film. Oh, I, I, was, I was at least expecting something halfway competent, but... I guess he learned along the way. Well, today we're bringing you all the smooth jazz and morning zoo that you come to expect from our program. We'll be covering the top brands of breakfast cereals and yogurts. <laughs> yes, that's that's what you look forward to on this movie podcast, Absolutely. our breakfast commentary. <laughs> so, I think we decided as a staff that Raisin Bran is the go-to for a boring cereal, right? I love Raisin Bran. I mean... It's, I don't know, it's a weird thing. Like, the brand isn't great, but those raisins are, like, the best thing. Yeah, the brand isn't great, but, you know, two scoops of sunshine, that's really all you need. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, speaking of uh, two scoops of sunshine, whatever transition that may be, let's talk about the box office like we do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, it has been a while since uh, we've talked about the box office, since we've been on, uh, you know, Christmas vacation for a little while here. And usually January is kind of a dumping ground for studios to get rid of all their shit movies that they have. But luckily, since we haven't been talking for a while, there is some actual interesting films to talk about in here, as well as some shit ones that we'll get to. So, let's start at uh, number 10. Actually, let's just talk about 10 and 9, since they're still here, is uh, The Grinch and Ralph Breaks the Internet. Well, you know, Christmas is over, but so is Ralph Breaks the Internet. I'm done with both. Yeah, we'll just uh, skip on past those. We've talked about them enough. Go listen to the other podcasts, or read the reviews. Calvin has them both. Yeah, uh, sure. Number 8, we have Second Act. Uh, I'm not going to have a review for this. It's a Jennifer Lopez new movie. I don't really go to these. Uh... Uh, let's move on to number 6, which is our first... Uh, awful movie of the year it looks like Holmes and Watson <laughs> that's the only film of last year that I walked out on mm-hmm. you, you did actually go to it uh, for a bit I believe you know yeah and I went to the uh, movie bar ordered a pretzel and because it's AMC they give you like a five pound pretzel so I come in there with a pizza box size pretzel you know not knowing what I'm really doing um, then I, I sit down for this Holmes Watson. I love Step Brothers, and, you know, there's another Adam McKay movie out, so I don't know why I didn't just see that immediately, but mm-hmm. instead I thought, oh, this combo must still be good, but they have nothing to go off of. They're just, like, uh, parodying Guy Ritchie, and it's such bullshit. There's no comedy there, and there's no through line for a story. That's so weird as well, just like you mentioned Guy Ritchie as well, because it's like, it's... Oh, no, I guess, yeah, oh, I, I, okay, I see what you're talking about, actually, the, the Sherlock, right. the Guy Ritchie Sherlock, right, that's what you meant. I was thinking of, like, I don't know, like, Snatch Guy Ritchie, like, I'm like, that seems so weird to go with a Sherlock Holmes movie, and I'm like, oh, wait, that was real, that did happen. <laughs> if Robert Downey Jr. were done with the Iron Man, maybe we could get a good Sherlock Holmes movie, but instead their license is just, uh, do they even have to license Sherlock Holmes, is that just No, they don't, uh, Sherlock Holmes is a public figure, anyone can make a Sherlock Holmes movie. Well, no shit, because yeah. that's why we're getting, like, Sherlock Gnomes, and 
Holmes and Watson. <laughs> I'm fucking irate about this. I was sitting there trying to eat my five-pound pretzel, and all of a sudden, Will Ferrell has a five-minute bit about throwing up, and every time he feels like a tension from Watson. Oh, my God. Oh, that sounds absolutely aggravating. I mean, from what I understand as well, I remember I read an article saying that, like, Netflix refused to buy the film from Sony. Like, they were they were really trying to get rid of this thing because they just knew they had a giant turd on their hands. And Netflix was like... This is the first thing Netflix ever rejected. As far as, far as we know, I'm sure they've rejected lots of other things, but, like, a public rejection of a, a big property like this. I mean, like, it's in the top... 10 of the box office this week. People look, are going to go see this. Look, Netflix has a six-movie deal with Adam Sandler, and they rejected this piece <laughs> of shit. Are you kidding me? Don't go see yeah. this. Yeah, you you know this is really bad. Oh. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, this combination works well with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. Oh, with, yeah. Uh, yeah, with um, Step Brothers and Adam McKay. But, I mean, they had somebody else at the wheel here. Uh, Joel Cohen, I believe, which is not um. the one that we like. <laughs> Not uh, not Joel. What's his name? Eaton. Eaton Cohen. I think. Oh, is Eaton. His name. Yeah. There's another one that is a Joel. There's <laughs> yeah, like a, right. I I read about this somewhere too. Is that there's floating around another Joel and another Ethan Cohen, and they both suck in he, comparison. <laughs> he probably has a brother that makes equally shitty kids movies. Mm-hmm. They're they're the anti Joel and Ethan Cohens of you know Fargo fame. So I have a thing though with John C. Riley. He had sisters, brothers, Stan, Ollie, Ralph breaks the internet, and Holmes and Watson within the space of two months. And you know, there's Jesus. There's really nothing going in in any of those. I mean, I'm interested in Stan and uh, Ollie for you know like an Oliver Hardy movie, but what the hell else am I going to do with these? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard Sisters Brothers was pretty good. Nothing like revolutionary, but yeah. you know, you got Walking Phoenix and Jake Gyllenhaal there too. But yeah, Stan Ollie actually just came out as well. I think it's like just way further down this list. I don't think it has. Yeah, it's, it's like in five theaters right now, so it's oh, not damn. shocking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd rather have seen that one. I don't know why I wasted my time, and you tried to convince me out of it too. I and did. I'm like, no. I tried. I told you, I'm like, look, this isn't gonna be Step Brothers. Adam McKay's doing a different thing. You're not. You're not getting this. You're like, nah, man, this is gonna be good. I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> I don't listen to reviews for comedies. <laughs> That's what I said. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should have. <laughs> but speaking of Adam McKay. Um, mm-hmm. Right above Holmes and Watson, the box office is Vice, which is the latest Adam McKay movie, more so in the style of his latest The Big Short than, you know, Step Brothers was. I mean, it it is exactly in that style, and it's done very well. It brings some kind of uh, fictional, uh, stylized take to these very real situations, and it is a dark comedy, too. I don't know if we should be laughing at it. It's hard to laugh at. Within a few mm-hmm. moments, we get to the 9-11, and we get to the of Dick Cheney, essentially. Uh, it just shows his kind of quest for power, and in that way it might be flawed that it only has that one perspective of him. So, in, you know, after you went and mistakenly saw Holmes and Watson, you did go and see Vice afterwards, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. And I believe we'll have a review for it pretty soon. Yeah, we should have a review up for it this coming week. Um, I like it a lot, but I, I also think it's a little bit flawed and limited. It's like the liberal equivalent of a fox news it's sensationalist perspective mm-hmm. so it's it's very it's uh not really an honest biopic i guess you would say it seems to be it's very much so trying to push a message but in an entertaining kind of way yeah as well as i mean everyone's very good uh christian bale put on 45 pounds i also put on 45 pounds to go see the film <laughs> just to i call it method reviewing now that's my new method gig. reviewing yeah so i'm just doing it like you know like when uh when the I was pregnant, I put on the sympathy weight. I did the same. Um, mm-hmm. 
for Christian Bale. So that really drew me into his performance, having that in relation with him. But uh, other than that, uh, Sam Rockwell's incredible Bush, the best we're ever going to get. He looks great. I mean, and Sam Rockwell just got his very well-deserved Oscar last year with three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And, you know, he's walking into a role like this, and he does a great job. I only saw really in the trailers, but I'm like, damn, he's really nailing that Bush impression. It's not like a <laughs> an over-the-top one, like an SNL style that we've seen before. Like, uh-huh. he... he he seriously kind of embodies the characteristics of Bush. It's one of those things where you forget you're watching actors occasionally. There's this scene where they're out having like a dinner discussing what a presidency would look like and and you kind of just like forget you're actually watching people on screen that aren't the real people. It, mm-hmm. I remember watching that trailer and seeing I'm like that's not fucking Christian Bale. That right. guy is pudgy as hell and, and just like hearing Christian Bale's voice come out of this guy. I'm like this just sounds dubbed like that's somebody else there that doesn't look like christian bale <laughs> and uh i like everyone in it mostly except for maybe uh steve carell who i know is i know he's well liked but i just don't find him that believable in specific character acting roles so mm-hmm. oh i thought he did really good in a uh, fox catcher is uh was yon debont i think mm-hmm. the guy's name was he was really good there but i think just steve carell's probably just having a not so great year right now welcome welcome to marwin just came out as well and that's a uh, not doing too well. He was fine in A Beautiful Boy. That's another more subdued performance. But here he's kind of like the chatterbox Rumsfeld, and it doesn't really suit his personality very well. And it doesn't suit Rumsfeld either. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like it's an interesting film either way. It sounds like Adam McKay is the right kind of person to take on this project. And, um, you know, oh. at the very <laughs> least, it makes for an entertaining performance from Christian Bale and Sam Rockwell there. I do want to say... Sometimes that's all you need. I do want to say stay after the credits. I was the only person left in my theater, and there's a great after credits sequence. So. I heard that one thing I'm kind of curious to know is that apparently there was a dance sequence, like there was a song number that they cut from the film. <laughs> yeah, that's right here. Oh, it, it is? That's the after credits? No, no, I guess it's been cut, oh. but... Yeah, no, okay, I yeah, know. I heard it was cut, but I'm like, that sounds like such a bizarre thing, but I want it, so... So, I guess spoilers, if you've... If you're not going to see it, then the after credits thing is they're just discussing whether it's like a libtard movie or something, and people in some oh, focus so this is like a fourth wall thing. Yeah, yeah. Some focus group starts fighting over the uh, political pretense of the movie, so that's worth seeing. Okay, so that, yeah, that does sound like an interesting kind of cheeky thing. Yeah, which seems to fit the tone of the film. All right, so let's uh, move on to our top five here for the box office. Number five, uh, hey, look, it's our pal Clint Eastwood again with The Mule. Better than play Misty for me. Yeah, he's come a long way. Yeah, I mean, I still feel like he has... I feel like he has some limited perspective on shots where he, you know... Like we were saying at the beginning of that one, there's a lot of helicopter shots. There's a lot of... uh, Kind of like just droning along with the car in this one. A lot of long shots of cars. Uh, sometimes I think he's getting a little old, so we could cut him some mm. slack. Yeah, he's he's almost upwards of ninety now, and he's given us plenty of great films in the past. And at least it wasn't fifteen, seventeen to Paris, right? Right. Yeah. Which has a few of the best moments in film this year, but the rest of it is just filler. So. There's like that mm-hmm. one great scene that's the premise of the title, but other than that, you don't have to see the Paris film. Right. But in this film, apparently the mule, I mean, all I ever hear about it lately is that apparently there's 
you know, several orgy scenes with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> well, there's one that's very sexy in Mexico where it's a lot of women dancing and, you know, scantily dressed, but the other one's just implied. You don't actually see him, like, boning, like, four different chicks in the film. So, I mean, he has a you wife know, that's, like, you know, who's suffering from cancer and stuff. So it's, like, it's, it's a weird thing to put in there. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that there's no, like full-on porn, you know, film of Clint Eastwood banging some 20-something girls in Mexico. Yeah. Like, th- th- that would at least be worth seeing. I mean, it just almost how... gets there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, if, if that's if that's your bag, guys, go out and check out The Mule, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. At number four, we have uh, the good animated film that's out right now, which is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, right. Better than Spider-Man 2. Ooh, that's that's a tough claim. I don't know if I'll agree with you, but I also haven't seen Spider Verse yet, so yeah, exactly. Don't fight it. I do, I do want to though. I'll get there soon. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a great, hard. It's a great time, and I was really surprised by it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that that Sony actually gives us a good Spider Man film after how many failed attempts, like since Spider Man Three, anyway. I mean, uh, they've been trying with Venom for a while, and that was a financial success. Uh, after the end credits of Venom, we get to see a bit of this. and That's why mm-hmm. I knew this would work out, that it would be a good thing. So I've been kind of calm about it for a while. One could argue as to the actual quality of Venom. I know you enjoyed it a lot, but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily because it's an objectively good film. No, it's not. But- yeah, and then, I mean, let's not even pretend that the Amazing Spider-Man films were anything but dumpster fires. Those were bad. I was going to say, and now we have like them come out with an actually acclaimed, widely celebrated Spider-Man film after fucking their way up the ladder so much. Didn't you just watch uh, Spider-Man 1? I did, I did. Go ahead. I'm revisiting the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man films before I check out Spider-Verse again. And Spider-Man 1 has aged a little bit. I noticed. I noticed uh, that the the kind of late '90s, 2000s flares are much more prominent than I would have noticed back originally. But it's still cohesively, still very focused, very enjoyable, and it's very much so Sam Raimi's film. And I felt that throughout. So having that uh, authorial intent throughout it is an important thing that's I think lost in all of the Spider-Man films up until this new one, minus Spider-Man Two, which is still obviously you know very Raimi. I feel like the Green Goblin might as well be a Raimi creation. The way that he brings it to the universe cinematically, I think that's that's always so fun to see. Yeah, and you couldn't do better than Willem Dafoe. That was the best you were ever going to get in terms of casting. And I just rewatched it recently. I love the wrestling sequence that I always forget about that's in there. Oh, yeah, with uh, Ra- Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, like the and, uh, and a sm- mm-hmm. Bone saw. <laughs> yeah, and, that's great. Uh, and Bruce Campbell doing the announcement. Yeah, and he's, and he's the announcer. Bruce Campbell. Just just put more Bruce Campbell in everything. I don't think we can say that enough on this, this show here. We need more Bruce Campbell, and we need it now. Uh, I think the most appealing thing about Spider-Man is all the different personalities it brings into it. Like, we get the aged Peter, Peter Parker that we've never really seen before outside, you know, very small glimpses in comics, but that's kind of fun to see in a film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you got all the other wide varieties of Spider-Mans they bring in. You got Spider-Man Noir with Nick Cage. You got oh yeah, yeah Spider-Pig, which is John Mulaney, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Which is great casting. I love John Mulaney. Um, you know he's got a hilarious comedian. Yeah, so you I got think- those, and 
and then a couple other ones. A couple <laughs> other ones as well. Yeah. I, I know the, the main central kind of uh, character pieces going on are between Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy and um, Peter. So, and, and those are all three really great Spider-Man choices there. So I, I'm I'm very excited to see it still, and the visually style, uh, visual styling of the film looks phenomenal. I just haven't. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's frenetic, uh, completely new kind of animation style. I know they wanted to trademark it, but I think that's bullshit. They should let everyone use it. So. I, I, from what I read, I heard some conflicting things. I initially it all sounded like they're trying to trademark the style itself, but it sounds like from what I read that they're trying to trademark the the technology that they use to do it with. Yeah. It's totally different and much less shady. Yeah. That's fine, I guess, but oh well. Yeah. yeah, hopefully it doesn't stilt any, you know, creative process from doing similar things. You know, animation often is held back by the conventions that we kind of place on them. And I don't want to see that. You know, animation should be free to do any and everything. And that's oftentimes why things like uh, anime is so appealing, because they really stretch the limits of what you can really do. You know, in well, terms every, of, like, action. Every animation's starting to look like a fucking DreamWorks or a Pixar picture, so we have, like, two predominant styles, and there's nothing else, so it's nice when something else comes out. We gotta celebrate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm glad that uh, Spider-Verse is getting a lot of the recognition for that, and it's attached to a big-name IP that's going to continue to spread, get people interested in, and so I hope we get more of this, and I imagine that Sony is jumping on this and working on more spider-verse sequels immediately like they you know their spider-man cash cow has finally come in after all these years they've been kind of holding on and and i think this year's proof if you want to look at incredibles 2 and spider-man if you want to give your titles to a good animation studio there's a lot more money left in superheroes than just live action i went back mm-hmm. watched uh, mask of the phantasm one that didn't do very well in the 90s but i think that's still my favorite animated hero film Oh, it has to be. It has to be everybody's because the Batman animated series was just so revolutionary and amazing. Uh, it still holds up. That operatic Batman theme. Maybe I'll drop it in here. It's so damn good. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, love that. It's amazing. Anyway, we should probably move on to our next yeah. one. <laughs> uh, number three is Bumblebee, the yeah, latest uh, Transformers thingy. It's pretty cool. I mean, uh, Haley Stanfield's awesome, I guess. Yeah, this is another one that you have a review for on the site already. You got an yeah. early review for this, I believe, yeah? Yeah, and I gave it a six on the site. You could go in and check that out. I think that it's fine. It's a little bit... Uh, beholden to nostalgia and it creates some of its own that you don't often see in these kinds of movies uh stanfield's great i think she's a star Mm -hmm. and she's uh i guess getting better and better uh, as the years go by she had a kind of big boom with her debut role in 2010 with the coen brothers uh, uh true grit right yeah she was great in that i believe recently there was another thing she was in uh i think that was her in edge of 17 and, and I just found out upon the release of this that she's releasing music, and I go into YouTube, and everything's like, you know, 30 million views. I'm like, okay, yeah, she made it. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about, like, this is going to be a really great, you know, you can tell this person's blowing up. You're like, oh, she she already has. I see. I was like, I better look her up, make sure she, the girl's doing all right, because she deserves some credit. And then I go into YouTube, and she's the next Justin Bieber. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and I don't think there's too much to talk about with this one, just to say that, you know, there's now a good Transformers film that has come out. At least, yeah. at least good in the very definitive sense of the word. It works, and it's not awful, and it's not laden with product placement everywhere. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to see um, Haley Stanfield uh, have a romantic relationship with a robot, this is uh, your best chance right now. Here you go, robosexuals. This is the film that you've been waiting for. <laughs> it's more than meets eye. So. <laughs> All right, uh, number two at the box office, no surprise, more Disney IPs here. We got Mary Poppins Returns. Is this their biggest success for the year? I guess we don't really know, do we? Uh, I don't think it is. Probably something okay. like Incredibles 2 was uh, more successful, I imagine. <laughs> or Avengers, or, or, right? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. there's there's all of Avengers as well. So, yeah, Disney kind of um, owns everything. So it's, it's, it's hard to remember. I'm like, oh, yeah, they own that too. Yeah, I think they've had a really shitty year for their live-action stuff. I hear this isn't that impressive, uh, that it's treading too hard on old nostalgia that kids won't have anymore. Mm -hmm. I've heard some different things. Like, this isn't uh, Beauty and the Beast levels of let's do the same thing over and again. Right. Like, it's very much so a... Well, it's a, it's a sequel, not just a spiritual sequel, but it, it inhabits the spirit of the Julie Andrews original and really tries to capture all that magic again. I'm definitely seeing it, don't get me wrong. Once it's out on video, I'll see it day one. But. Mm -hmm. Mary Poppins is one of those that... It's a film I grew up with, but mm -hmm. I didn't love as much as some of the other things. You know, it, it very much so. It felt like an older film to me as a kid. It was. Cause it came out in the 60s, but, you know, it... It didn't have a timeless quality to it that I think, at least in my eyes, you know, that made it rewatchable and, like, stuck in my memory. So the sequel was not something I was ever looking forward to. I think Emily Blunt's great, you know, and... She's had a good year, too. Yeah, she so. definitely has, between, like, what, this and Quiet Place. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there was anything else she was in, was there? <laughs> That's a hell of a range, though. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And uh, you got Lin-Manuel Miranda in this, too, who's, mm -hmm. you know, doing better and better all the time. Good for him. Uh, and, you know, it just seems like it's a very pleasant time. Bring the family to it. If you like Mary Poppins, I'm sure you'll like this as well. But from what I understand, you know, you, you can't really replicate Julie Andrews at no. all. But Emily Blunt's probably the closest you're going to get. She's delightful. Yeah. She must be the best part. But I'll see it soon. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have more to talk about when it goes there. I don't imagine she's going to leave the box office anytime soon. Mm-hmm. All right, so if we move on to number one, another film that we have another review for from you, Calvin, and that's for Aquaman. And I I don't like this film. <laughs> <laughs> they have a moment where they're walking into the Sahara Desert and uh, Pitbull's cover of Toto's or, uh, uh, Into Africa comes on, and I'm just, I'm losing it. Hold on, hold on, it hold on, hold on. I, I gotta stop you. Did you just say that, that Pitbull does a cover of the beloved meme film or movie song damn it song <laughs> song it's a song it's not a movie africa toto's africa yeah yes. yeah he does a cover of it and it's the it's not even like a fun cringe it's not like something that could be turned into a meme you could tell like africa africa is a meme yeah yeah africa is <laughs> like the beige internet meme like the inoffensive uh 
you know, like Weezer went and covered it. Like, what the fuck are we doing here in Aquaman in 2019 mm. talking about Africa? Right. And here we are, and Pitbull has a cover of it for some reason for a DC film about yeah. a man who talks to fish. And, you know, like... Uh, all, Did they even go the... to Africa in the film? Is, is yeah. that like a central plot location? Well, you know, they go to Italy, they go to the Sahara Desert, they go, you know, it's it's a thing. But, I, d- uh, I don't believe those places are Africa. Italy, for sure, is not Africa, I know that. I'll tell you what, those places also aren't, they're not underwater, which is <laughs> an interesting thing for a movie that should be uh, pretty much pretty much under the water the whole time, but I think that... Uh, uh, under they the find, sea, so to speak? Yeah, it's under, under the sea. Under the sea. There is a weird Little Mermaid twist to it, where... Um, Amber Heard's basically playing the Little Mermaid. So. She does have that like big flowy red hair, doesn't she? She she kind of looks like Ariel. You could almost see the hair dye like slipping down her face. It's so strong. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, there's not a lot of context for how to shoot films underwater. Um, you know, like Shape of Water we got last year, but nobody really knows how to shoot something like that. That doesn't well, especially exist. like action scenes underwater. That's not there's yeah. no precedent for that really. So they do some pretty damn cool stuff, but it's basically just Thor Ragnarok underwater. So. Mm-hmm. It seems like Ragnarok was definitely one of those films where I feel like sort of like a Guardians of the Galaxy as well that's going to have like a huge influence over superhero films. Fun. I'm like, oh, people really like this jokey style of, you know, comic book movie. Let's uh, all do that now. And, and the then only we'll, problem we'll is... wear it out for a couple of years and people get bored. <laughs> The only problem is Yon I have its director out and I had to pronounce what is it like Taika Waititi or whatever Ta- for Taika Waititi Waititi yes. uh, yeah Waititi but uh, I mean James Wan's not that he directed Saw he directed Fast and Furious so mm-hmm. he's doing Aquaman you know that's weird he kind of goes from this kind of low budget revolutionary horror film to now he's doing all the big name franchises let's get him on a Marvel and a Star Wars movie next and, and see yeah. what he does. Yeah, so I, I hope he, uh, I hope, I mean, I don't know what I hope for Aquaman. I just don't want more. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure we can, we'll have more to talk about it in other podcasts, because I don't doubt that it will stay around for a while. It's January. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's double Mary Poppins, so, I mean, it's... Is it? Oh, shit. <laughs> it's nearly double Mary Poppins, so it's going to be here for at least another month or two. Oh, these DC fans just going and flocking to theaters to see shit I don't want to have anything to do with. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're all posting on my article like I'm some kind of Disney show or something. Like, I even like Marvel <laughs> movies. and I mean, you know yeah. me, I don't... I like them. I'm just not a supporter like, of any of it. You like them in a very, like, basic level. Like, you're, you're in no way prone to one way or the other. And, you know, DC fans will just continue to defend. I'm not I'm not here to shit on DC fans in general, but the general movie fans here, they will defend this stuff to the grave. It I doesn't mean, matter how bad it is. I mean, do you remember the discussions about Suicide Squad? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I hope the second one's better, but, God, I, I don't know. There's, like, four movies in Aquaman 2, and, you know, they defend it like, oh, you get, like, the biggest bang for your buck, but it's, like... It's almost as long as 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing. Like, people have the same complaints about Batman v Superman, where it's, you know, like, four or five different plots that could easily be their own films, and they should have been. And, you know, they're just trying too hard. I think it's that idea that it's like, all right, let's take the best parts of each of the best comics, and we'll shove them into one movie, and it has to work. And usually it doesn't. 
I mean, you should probably follow, like, Chekhov's rule, like, the first third of any story is all background and should all be cut anyway, but it feels like DC stories are entirely the background part. You get the first third of their story, and then they have to make a trilogy because they didn't finish anything. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like, not to be entirely negative on the film, that people oh, generally yeah. <laughs> enjoy the visuals, the action, you know, I'm seeing a lot of things. Your rating wasn't entirely awful. There are some good things in there. Please read yeah. it if, if you you know want to know Calvin's whole opinion, and I'm sure we'll get more bits of it as we kind of continue to talk about the film. Well, it's like gonna... Venom, right? It's like one of those films that would have come out before that Iron Man changed everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely more to talk about on it, but let's reserve that for the next couple ones. Here, we should probably move on to our big feature of the week, and we're just going to talk about 2018 for some time. We got a top 10 list of our kind of collective favorite films from the year, as well as just some of our experiences and some of the other maybe older films that we are exposed to as well, because not all of us saw everything this year. Just Calvin. Calvin saw everything. (laughs) I saw everything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, then. Well, I think the best way to go about this uh, is if we just go ahead and slam right into that top ten, then. Uh, I believe you compiled the majority of the list based on both our contributions and everyone in our collective contributors here. So, yeah, we have you and I and then Jesse, Graham, and Kevin basically comprising the list together. Yeah, very much so similar to how we did our Coen Brothers list earlier, uh, you know, just a couple months back. And so we have um, both entries that some of us feel very passionate about and some that we, me and Calvin here, aren't going to talk too much about because, you know, we didn't see them as much or weren't as loved, but we wanted to represent their interests as well. Absolutely. This is a collective opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not a democratic process exactly. We're just looking through the list and, you know, having more of a discussion about what belongs, what represents us, um, making sure everyone gets their voice heard a bit. Yeah, by no way is this definitive, you know, this is not, you know, our number one is not saying that everything else is worse than it necessarily, but this is just kind of our general opinions smushed together in a chaotic sense of rambling discussions between one another. And I mean, even stuff that's nearing the top of my list, some of it's personal and some of it doesn't need to go into like a staff list. Uh, Say if we all saw Avengers next year and it's the only film we all saw, it doesn't mean it's going to be our first movie, right? It's just... Well, that's some of the trouble as well. There's someone like me who saw probably 10-ish, maybe 15 new films this year. Yeah. And so, and some of them were like, there was probably at least three Marvel films in there. So, But then you see a lot of the, I mean, you have your own specialty for the site, so it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely, if if you haven't caught on by now, I am much more first in classic film, you know, kind of the period of 40s, 50s, 60s cinema there, specifically American as well. So, and I'm still doing a lot of that research all the time. And I'll talk about that. Uh, You know, we'll we'll have some time here at the end after we go through the list where I'll talk about some of my favorite discoveries of this year. But, you know, I I did see some stuff still that was new this year, and I'll talk about them. And I'll be glad to, especially once we get closer to the top. Let's start with the 10. What's our 10? Yeah, let's go for it. At number 10, controversial choice, but we forced in Paddington 2. But if you follow me this Excuse way... Excuse me, what happened here? A nun went berserk. Really? It happens. The police have rounded them all up for questioning. Hold it there, sister. You're going nowhere till the detective says so. Spin it around. Mind you... If you ask me, the real culprit slipped the net. What makes you say that? Because I saw her. That's what. 
I was on patrol in the upper dome watching the nuns parade far below when something caught my eye. One of them broke free from the herd and made her way to the whispering gallery. Only the good Lord knows what she was doing up there. Attention all units, an unusually attractive nun is causing mayhem in the cathedral dome. Activate emergency protocol. Stop that stunning sister. I set off at lightning speed. But by the time we'd locked the place down, she'd vanished into the night. Good evening, my son. Oh, uh, good evening, Your Grace. Good evening. Most beautiful woman I've seen in a long time. Do you think you might be able to describe her? It would be my pleasure. <laughs> Forced in, I don't know, from everything I've heard. People <laughs> love Paddington 2. It's just delightful, warm, and I've been meaning to see them. You know, I'm not a big fan of Marmalade personally, but maybe Paddington can convince me it's pretty good. And I want to give a disclaimer for our list that I gave one opportunity for Kevin to kill the bear. And I, yes. <laughs> I, put, I put the Roma option up there, but he would not kill the bear, so... Thank God, because I would have given him the hardest stare. Yes. Paddington seems to be just a joyous delight. Uh, you know, you see, the way I hear you talk about it, it's just entirely flawless. You can't hate Paddington at all. I don't mean to sound depressing, but I've gone to over 150 movies this year, and it's the only time I felt like I was smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the one thing that kind of brought, like, the... It's the one time I felt like my heart was full, like a kid again. Like I felt the imagination and and a certain love for cinema and color and staging and the jokes were funny. It's one of the funniest films of the year too. I'd also put a game night close to it, but I think it is the funniest. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, delightful to hear about it. You know, it just seems to be good. Do, do you prefer it over the first film? Or I definitely do. Yeah, 100%. I should say that it's also the only CG that didn't completely bug me this year. It, it works flawlessly. It looks like a, it looks like something you don't question. You just buy into it within a few minutes, and that goes like swimmingly, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the other thing is that it is, everyone says it, but it is the necessary thing we need. A story about acceptance and maybe a little bit about migrants and immigration in there and accepting and loving your neighbors. So I think it's an important thing. Well, I think that's such an interesting uh, angle to look at it too, as well. Especially the uh, you know the British setting of the film and a lot of the issues they're having there with their own migration, you know, uh, qualms and the whole Brexit situation. Is that there's some political commentary in this you know children's animated bear film, you know. But I think that was very much the case, and probably a lot of the original intent of the author as well. I think so. I think that was the original. uh, Paul King's the director here, and I think that uh, adapted from the Paddington books. I think it is about that, uh, you know, the going against xenophobia. And we think it's so bad in America, but we don't have anyone that's gotten anything done. We have to remember we haven't had a Brexit. We're not completely isolated. Mm-hmm. Well, we got our own, you know, uh, series of migration issues we're dealing with. For sure. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out soon enough, but maybe we need our own Paddington to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll dig up something similar. I don't know. But I think it's also interesting to note that this is a very faithful and honest portrayal of this children's book character. If you look recently, uh, I think it was this year that we also got Peter Rabbit as well. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I we think got that was Peter Rabbit. And, and speaking of bears, we got a terrible. Winnie the Pooh a few months ago. Terrible. Okay, I haven't heard it's terrible necessarily, oh, it's, but it's lifeless. not Peter Rabbit's le- level anyway. Like putting those two together in comparison, that that seems unfair. 
Yeah, um, Peter Rabbit's one of the worst I've seen this year, and Winnie the Pooh. It's just pretty middling, but you expect a lot better mm-hmm. than you do from Peter Rabbit, maybe. But yeah, but the idea I was getting at, essentially, is that if you compared Peter Rabbit and Paddington, like, you wouldn't realize that these were similarly beloved properties, you know, in, in kind of the same manner, because Paddington is treated with just so much more respect than Peter Rabbit, where it just feels like, you know someone cashing in on this property hoping to make a buck and you know just shoving in as many pop culture references as possible to just murder this beloved story it's awful so yes see paddington 2 don't see peter rabbit paddington 2 is a delight and why it makes our top 10 especially in that kind of uh just heartwarming sense you know i don't think you'll find anything quite like it uh or yeah. that quite reaches its level anyway What's yeah our, i don't uh, think you will yeah, what's our number nine for this list? Uh, we have a uh, Cold War next. Dwa serduszka, cztery oczy. Oj, oj, oj. Co płakały we dnie w nocy. Oj, oj, oj. Czarne oczka, co płaczecie. All right, so Cold War was definitely a film that most of us didn't get a chance to see yet. Um, it like just recently came out. Uh, I think this week here, or just maybe like a couple of weeks ago here in uh, America. But yeah, look, I'm looking at the box office again, and it's in three theaters right now. <laughs> it's not <America>. even. <laughs> it's not even available to me. I know Kevin got like a screener deal for it, so uh, we yes. had we had access that way, but uh, we don't have access yet. We still, right. like we say, we still want to prioritize things people really love. So, mm-hmm. um, and Kevin was was very uh, impressed with this film. He loved it a lot. And had lots of high praise for it to sing to us. And, you know, so it managed to wiggle its way into our list here. Uh, did he have anything specifically that you recall saying about it? Uh, um, I don't quite remember, but I I <laughs> just know about this. that It's one of my favorite trailers of last year. It just looks absolutely incredible. Uh, we just want to represent his interests here. You know, I'm glad we included something like this uh, from it. And hopefully, uh, when we do get around to seeing this personally, you know, we'll be able to affirm that... Uh, you know, once it comes around here a bit more in theaters. And it is black and white is a foreign film. And I think that it looks like a a very interesting thing that uh, usually wouldn't make a list. I doubt it made very many this year. So I'm happy we Mm -hmm. have it represented. Yeah. So let's uh, move on to something we can talk about a little bit more. What was seven or eight, I guess not seven. (laughs) Uh, Number eight, we have, um, do you have the list there? Uh, no, Hold I on. thought you had the list. I'll pull it up here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have Lean on Pete. Reaching out to find you. Happy. How you doing? Put it all behind you. Can't get attached to the horse. Why not? They're here to race and nothing else. Listen, kid, things are changing. What do you mean? I'm selling them. He's not a pet. It's just a horse. I'll buy him. <laughs> With one money. And where are you going to keep them? Not in my stalls. Come on, Pete. I'm going to get us out of here. Which is um, a Northwest story about a boy who goes and steals uh, a horse from this uh, track he's working at in Portland. Uh, very cool, uh, very dark story. Oh, I should have seen this. I didn't realize yeah. it was set in Portland. 
That's where and it I'm is. <laughs> uh, it is in Amazon Prime now, so it is worth seeing. The boy moves out to Portland. He doesn't really have much to connect to, you know, no father figure. And he kind of finds what he needs in a horse. It is a Western in some, like, uh, modern Western sense. Mm-hmm, like a neo-Western-ish kind of uh, feeling. There's a lot of those coming out lately. We had something similar uh, earlier this year with The Rider and I think, uh, was Hostels this year or last year? Last year. Okay, I thought it was last year, but I wasn't sure. But I remember a lot of people talking about it, too. I mean, that one's not a neo-Western, though. No, no. That one's just kind of a regular. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Keep talking about Lean on Pete. <laughs> yeah, Lean on Pete. It's incredibly sad. Uh, I guess we should say that we're probably going to spoil anything if you haven't seen any of these movies. So uh, please skip ahead or come back to this after you've seen uh, some of the films we're discussing. Um, oh. For Lean on Pete, the it's very sad what happens with the horse. You know, the horse... He's walking through the field, and you're really connecting on an emotionally resonant level. And then suddenly the horse just gets slammed through by a truck. And yeah, I was just, fuck. like, sitting there stunned and crying to myself for about ten minutes. And that's, like, one of the most impactful moments I had with the film all year. Mm-hmm. Well, that that kind of moment where in films they take away the animal you come to care for. We have this inherent connection to a lot of these uh, pet creatures, you know. So when they do something like that, it's just such a real gut punch. More than any person they could kill in a film, you know. Yeah. Because especially know, that that was like his bonding agent, you know, his way to get around the his parents' divorce and the moving all the time, and the one thing he could run away with, you know. Otherwise, he's just running away alone. And the it's funny because you know uh, the guy's a sprinter. He's real good in the movie. Um, and then the horse is also a sprinter. It's a running horse, so they're kind of running together, and it's a nice, uh, nice coming of age story, but also very dark and heavy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good to see that we have a representation like that on the list for it. Uh, I'll definitely have to get to that soon since I missed it. I should have got, gotten to it, I suppose, but <laughs> I didn't realize it was. Yeah, it's on Amazon, so so people yeah, can check that, that out. We could represent our Northwest interests, and I do think that's one that we should probably get to if we want to podcast it or something sometime i think there's a lot we could do with it yeah potentially we'll have to we'll take see. a look at it off to see uh what's our next on our list are we at seven now yeah and uh also we have review of lean on pete coming up on the website another 10 out of 10 so that will be on there soon so uh next one's thoroughbreds you ever think about just killing him how would you what the hell is he even doing here? I am providing you all with early drug experiences that you will forever cherish. Who the hell are you? <laughs> we have a business proposition for you. You got a gun? Yes, I have a gun. You don't know where I come from. Westchester, the man. You have no idea. I didn't think you'd bring it here. You want to hold it? No, thanks. Anyway, you cannot hesitate. The only thing worse than being incompetent or being unkind or being evil is being indecisive. Okay. Shall we? Mm-hmm. By the way, I guess that's something to ask real quick. These are all 10 out of 10s that we kind of picked, or at least some of us were 10s on them for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think at least one person each had to be at least a 10 for us to even consider putting them in, right? So, mm-hmm. And they're not exactly ranked. Like, we didn't average them or anything. So, like, no. the number one isn't going to be the highest that we all ranked. But 
you know, what we felt. Some of us felt more passionately about some of these. And again, we kind of gauge based on that. And I think the hard one with this next one, Thoroughbreds, is I don't know if any of us would give it a 10, but a few of us would probably give it an 8 or a 9. So. Hmm. Thoroughbreds, this is another one that I haven't seen because I'm a bad movie watcher. <laughs> and Thoroughbreds, funny going from horses to this film that's more about, you know, like a... It's like a psychological kind of horror thing with uh, Olivia Cook and Anna Taylor-Joy. They're uh, just classmates in school. One's obsessed with horses and the other's kind of a loner. She invites mm-hmm. her over. They bond through the horses and through um, just getting to know each other. And it's um, the last role of a, what's his name? Anton, Anton uh, Yelchin. Yelchin. I was just looking at that because I saw his name there on the cast. I'm like, what? I mean, he's still got stuff coming out, I guess. Yeah, that was his final role, so there's an emotional gut punch there, because he has a heavy, uh, druggy kind of role within this film. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. He was a great talent that we lost, you know, uh, somewhere earlier last year. You know, and he was really starting to to come into more of these big roles and everything. So, very sad, and I'm sure that carries a lot of weight in the film as well. And I imagine we'll see similar things with stuff, you know, coming with other actors final roles i know we got a big one at the end of this year with uh carrie fisher in star wars i think a lot of the delight of thoroughbreds too is that i didn't know what it was at all like i just went for a double bill one day and ended up seeing that second and it was just like a last minute decision Mm-hmm. and uh, i believe you weren't the only one who saw this one we had some other people enjoy it yeah uh yeah this is i think kevin's third second or third movie of the year and i know that jesse watched it the other night and really loved it too so we have a bunch of support on this one yeah so that's uh great that we have a lot going for that um i'm excited to see you know smaller films like this that's the thing is that this list there's no there's not a whole lot of big blockbuster no. names on it which is good to to point out because i think a, there are a lot of people who complain about how cinema's dying and that there are all these you know blockbusters are the only thing we're getting and it's not it's just that people don't know about them because they suck at looking for things. I mean, we have a list of 10 that might not be in the top 10 uh, box office of the whole year. So that's, yeah. it's important to look at these. Uh, One of which isn't in, in the box office like at all, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them, maybe. But uh, like at number six, we have Hereditary, which was definitely placing. <laughs> She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. She wasn't altogether there. At the end. I just don't wanna put any more stress on my family. So, so this one is definitely more of a uh, commercial success than some of the other ones we have here. It almost got cut for Roma last second, too. I know it's funny that we keep saying that everything almost got cut for Roma, but uh, then Jesse said it was his favorite film of the year, so we kind of leveled it up a little bit into the top uh, six. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jesse didn't see a whole lot as well. Right. So, I mean, that's... Uh... You know, c- consider that when we say something like it was his favorite of the year. Yeah, you know, yeah, he, yeah. He, I'm sure he didn't even see things like Roma. Yeah, yeah, and he is kind of like our horror guy, so he uh, he kind of yeah. gets around a lot of that stuff, and so I'll believe him if he thinks it's the best thing right now that he's I've seen. Certainly, 
I've certainly heard it's the best horror film of the year. You know, there was a lot of good competition this year, lots of big name stuff, even like compared to A Quiet Place. But, you know, this is the one I've heard the greatest praise for just universally, as well as just among our group here. I mean, you feel kind of filthy when you come out of it. Um, there's, there's like the daughter who just kind of clucks her tongue randomly. It's just a weird characterizations and a witchiness that's not really been present, but I feel like it's come back with the witch in this. Mm-hmm. I heard lots of great praise for Tony Collette's performance as well, an mm-hmm. outcry of people who are sad that she's not getting a proper Oscar representation for it. And, you know, from the clips I've seen here and there, I catch a lot of films and, like, YouTube clips here and there, but, you know, her performance has been very powerful from what I've seen. And I thought at that time that Tony Collette was the performance of the year, but then I saw uh, some other things that we'll probably be covering here, and films like uh, How Could You Ever Forgive Me... Uh, there were other strong female performances, so I don't want to write those off. Uh, there were a few others I liked a little bit better. I liked A Quiet Place better, but not enough to kind of put it above this on someone else's interest. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as well as that A Quiet Place is much more of a blockbuster kind of horror film than this is. This one's definitely more of a a serious and um, you know dramatic one. You look at it, and it's, I think it's got more comparisons to The Exorcist than you know something like uh, A Quiet Place does, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think if if a quiet place is alien, this is more Exorcist. But there were some other good uh, standout horror films. Like we did have uh, Thoroughbreds, and um, I really love Ghost Stories, but that was undercovered a bit by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I would like to point out as well that nobody's talking about Halloween as one of the best horror films this year for good no. reason. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean I think that everyone was just happy to have a Halloween that wasn't Rob Zombie anymore. So I think that's what we got, and maybe we'll get a better one next. Yeah, we'll see. We did a whole podcast on it, so we won't talk too much about it. No. All right. What was our next film? And our next film here was where are we at? We have uh, Burning at number five, which neither of us saw. Ben이라고 합니다. No, we didn't. Again, you know, films not coming around us nearly as much as they should. Some of us don't get out of the house nearly as much as they should. Um, and But we did have one person see this, at least, and that was Graham. And Graham really loved this. He called this his second favorite film of the year. It is based on Haruki Murakami's short story, Barn Burning. I love Murakami, and I know I'm going to love this film. There's just been no opportunity to see it. Uh, I heard that it's the one of the best Korean films of all time, which you know you kind of hear if if something's on this level. But uh, I'm willing to believe it, looking at the cast, the director, the writer. Right. Well, there's a lot of great things going on in uh, Korean cinema lately. We've got... Um... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say anyone's names because I'm going to mess it up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sound like an idiot. But uh, here, I'll just say, like, a couple of years ago, we had The Handmaiden, which is really great. And, um, yeah. you know, that director has given us lots of great stuff recently. Uh, Chengbook Park, that's his name. Yeah, yeah. I think I didn't mess it up. <laughs> um, no, you're fine. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so this is another great one it looks to be as well. And a lot of the big things I heard about it works... Uh, centered around Steven Yen's performance, hmm. who's really doing, I mean, this is kind of his big 
uh, thing after coming off of The Walking Dead, as well as uh, Sorry to Bother You earlier this year. He, he was in as well, but this is a starring role in comparison. And we should say a really good year for black cinema, but also a really incredible year for Asian cinema. We have like Searching, where we had this star performance and, you know, Asian director who's doing something really cool there that we're, you know, we're not used to people from the tech sector coming in and making things. And we have Shoplifters and Burning and Crazy Rich Asians and a lot of good representation that we weren't getting. Yeah. And so it's certainly something that's coming in more. I see our um, movies uh, kind of expanding out to a more worldwide area you know and then we got big things we talked about foreign stuff like uh roma as well you know we've mentioned a couple times and that's been a huge thing in the last month so everyone's kind of expanding their tastes a bit more and we're seeing a lot more commercial success for these non-white films which is great Mm -hmm. and that's not even mentioning the big uh black culture films of this year as well with stuff like black panther black Klansman, sorry to bother you all big you know films for them and I think that although none made our list, especially, it's not because we didn't like them. It's that they were, uh, we have a lot of divided votes on which one should make it. And so some of them didn't really cut it, but it yeah, it's always hard. Great. It's always hard with 10, you know, you're never going to get everything that deserves to be recognized in some way. And hopefully we've done our part in recognizing some of these other films over the year as is, you know, by no means should a 10 be, you know, chosen be looked at a definitive takeaway of the only things that you should pay attention to yeah but i think you should pay attention to number four we have first reform that encouraged my son to enlist it was a family tradition six months later he was dead in iraq i was lost my sins the reading of the lord praise be god so how are you oh, i'm fine no really it's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. Well, I want you to be happy. I know that nothing can change, and I know there is no hope. Yes, First Reformed has been getting a lot of attention. This was one I did see, but I was not as big on personally. I know Graham loved it a lot, though. We had a, a strong discourse about the film. This one was his favorite of the year, I believe. This was Graham's favorite, and I think for I think for good reason he uh, he had written a pretty great review about why, and I think that it stands up to it. I I think I understand why it's his favorite. Yeah, by no means does my inherently negative or you know underwhelmed opinion of it inform of the film itself. I feel very much so in the minority on not liking it, and you know I think uh, revisiting it potentially in the future could you know, be, yield a better result. But I don't know if it's something that's going to incline me to necessarily. But overall, pretty, I mean, there was there were still great things about it, certainly, undeniable. I had a pretty special uh, experience seeing it. Um, well, I had just, uh, I was in Montreal at the time and got to see it at the old Montreal Forum where, you know, Canadians used to play out there and kind of a weird mall experience. But um, I don't know, I really liked getting out and seeing it around a different culture. Yeah, I think it's always an interesting uh, take to do as well. You know, it's a it's a big film for, you know, Paul Schrader as a director. I think one of his biggest ones in a long time. Ethan Hawke gives an amazing performance, you know, in the film. That was certainly undeniable to me. Um, and I think it's something that's certainly deserved of the praise it's gotten, even if I don't see it. Yeah, I think it's really good, too. I mean, I have it pretty high, and I think it's held in pretty good esteem that Schrader's... Uh really great at the forum and this is a 
significant release and it shows that people are still making films like this like we talked about in the last section um there is kind of a dearth of these serious uh films being made for an audience but this kind of shows a proof that there may still be a small audience for them well what's important as well is that the film has a very central message that it wants to communicate like a lot of these like it's not empty by any means it's not just like a generic thriller or whatever's going on paul schrader's really trying to get at something here both in a religious sense and the environmental themes of the film and just the general sense of loss that there is throughout in isolation you know it's all there it's all very apparent and easy to absorb and relate with yeah i mean kind of like on the same tone as last year's mother the darren aronofsky film but um i think that i like that film a little bit more this didn't completely connect with me either so i don't know if we're its best representatives but i'm glad it's on here Mm -hmm. it would be nice if uh i think maybe we can post a blurb or something about graham's opinions of it at some point but he really loved it most of the world has really loved it it's worth seeing for sure at least once you know Mm -hmm. and i think uh it fits in our spot here in our top 10 also on amazon prime so check it out yeah what's our uh, next slot we have the favorite at number three, which... I apologize for my appearance. I hoped I might be employed here by you as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. <laughs> Favor is a breeze that shifts direction all the time. Then, in an instant, you're back sleeping with a bunch of scabrous whores. As it turns out, I'm capable of much unpleasantness. <laughs> Did you just look at me? Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! Stand by and let you destroy me. <laughs> you are enjoying all of this, aren't you? <laughs> well, it is fun to be queen sometimes. If you do not go, I will start kicking you. And I will not stop. My dear friend, how good to see you've returned from hell. I'm sure you shall pass through it one day. Pretty excited made the list because it had a pretty short run into here. Mm-hmm. And uh, only a couple of us got to go see this, but you have sung its praises all since seeing it. Can't get you to shut up about it. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I believe uh, Kevin, Kevin also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin has it listed as his favorite film of the year. So uh, you can see that our top four here, we've prioritized it's someone's favorite. Absolutely, in some respects. You know, so uh, this one definitely, I know, because you and Kevin loved it so much, I've been hearing about it a lot, and I was excited. I was potentially going to see it before the end of the year, but I didn't get a chance to. Couldn't get it out of the house. I'm still stuck chained to the radiator, I guess. Yeah, I guess in a couple of weeks you'll see it and have existential regrets about it not being our film of the year, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll see. we got some pretty good choices. It was a tough <laughs> choice to get, get these top three. Definitely. I did. I did feel like I was playing a lot of games with the ordering, trying to make deals with people to kind of leverage a few of the things I needed in here. But mm-hmm. the favorite was one that I was happy made it. I have a 10 out of 10 review for this also on the site. Uh, we have a good amount of these covered, so I'm happy that we have some stuff to link in. Yeah, it was nice that um, a lot of us were able to cover and give our thoughts on it in various reviews on the site already, so that that way we had, you know, very concrete ideas of what we're bringing to the table when we came here to discuss it. And hopefully next year, since we're a pretty new site, hopefully next year all of our top ten will be covered in some capacity. 
some so, capacity certainly you know yeah. hopefully they'll be reviewed or analyzed in some manner and uh it was nice to see that the you know the favorite again i i really enjoyed reading the review when i was going over it and it really got me excited to go see it it's got this uh you know and i think it was appropriate because we talked about barry linden that very week didn't we yeah we did and it, it, there's a lot of uh parallels there it seems to be not only from you i've heard but i've heard just from generally the kind of responses like you know a more comedic-ish kind of barry linden aesthetic yeah i mean uh it's pretty funny at the first half until it gets very serious and dark and your ghost Lanthimos, he's not afraid of leaning into some of that stuff. And it seems to me that Rachel Wise seems to be his muse going between this and the lobster. I could see a lot of uh, him kind of working off her. It's nice when a director finds their actor that really mm-hmm. inspires them and really finds the beauty of art within this person. And uh, I think that everyone could agree that Rachel Wise and riding pants is the best thing that happened this year. So. Very happy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess we should also say we mentioned it before that the, these are the three female performances that I think were above all else the best of the year, and it stands out that I think they're better than any male performance of the year because the men in the film are just powdered wigs, right? They're just a they're just a hairpiece. They're not really characters. Like they're just there to push uh, Emma Stone over occasionally, but the, they're not that uh, they're not that integral to the actual mm-hmm. story. I think there's some uh, commentary in there as well. I love that we're getting more kind of uh, female-centric films as well. Again, kind of the same thing we were talking about. There's more exposure. We're seeing more of that branching out, you know, and, and getting those you know the other perspectives. I think that's interesting, and it, it gets me more excited to see this. I think this film probably wouldn't be interesting, or at least as interesting, if they were all male characters instead. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, and I think that it... There's a funny thing about period pieces where people might lean away from them and that it might not be appealing to audiences, but that's one of the most fun experiences I had in the theater. It makes so much fun out of being a period piece that it's hardly one. Mm -hmm. I think that definitely it's because of that comedic edge that it has. It's going to supply a bit more uh, humor to it, you know, and make you less apprehensive about going. I I know that was some of my favorite qualities of Barry Lyndon as well, Mm -hmm. but this one seems definitely more comedy focused. And I think it, it, deserves its third ranking on our place so i'm glad it's here absolutely Oof. <laughs> yeah so our, uh, uh, number two how about number two <laughs> uh we have number two this one was a, a kind of tough one and for i know i'm gritting my teeth because i don't want to get there i'm like do i still have time to talk you into a first place uh, uh no i think it's set no no i think <laughs> i think we're pretty good with our first place so if our, our first right. place is a little bit of an interesting choice, though, and we'll get there when we talk about it. But our second place for right now is You Were Never Really Here.
I really love this the Which, entirety of the year. Mm-hmm. You've you've been seeing his praises for so long. I was glad that it did come to Amazon because it wasn't an Amazon film. It just took you know a little bit more to get there. And I did see this one. I, yeah. I think I watched this and first performed back to back. That's a hell of I a. I did really love. You were never really here. Yeah, I think they're very similar in some ways, but very different in others. Uh, I love the the styling of You Were Never Really Here. Uh, I think I agree with you when I have to say it that's, has the best score of any film this year. It or, has that Johnny Greenwood score that sounds like a little, not even derived from Drive. I think it's better than Drive soundtrack, which I thought was one of the best. So, uh, Just like last year's uh, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Phantom Thread. Uh, it's been excised from any kind of Oscar mm-hmm. consideration for soundtrack, which is beyond unbelievable to me. You got fucking Fantastic Beasts in there, and you can't I, get yeah, I can't my boy that. Johnny Greenwood. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. It's it's an amazing score. What I loved about it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Psycho in the sense that it just, the entire time, it felt like an absolute assault on me. Like I was feeling attacked by the score the entire time. And it was terrifying, and it really put me in this, you know, uncomfortable place. Nice to really thing was I got into film. one of those theaters with the nice leather recliners, and there was one other guy in the film, and I could tell he was nearly having a heart attack by the middle. He left, so I had the whole thing to myself with the with the nice ass chairs in the center of the theater. <laughs> Man, that was one of the most powerful things. I was I came out mm-hmm. of the theater physically shaking. I can't blame you. It's a it's a terrifying film you know, uh, for many different reasons, and the execution of it is what it's all about there. It's a terribly, you know, dangerously violent film that shows very little of the actual acts of violence. It's very much so a lot of the implication based on the aftermath. And I did read the book. Uh, it took like an hour. It's a pretty short book. Um, it took about as long as it took maybe to watch the movie, actually. But um, there's, there's, it's about being inside the character's head, right? Like, uh, I've heard people say, oh, you don't get the violence I was expecting, but that's not the point. It's like a mental violence that goes inside someone's head that causes them to be this way. That's a lot more terrifying to me than watching a physical violence, which is just a surface level shit, right? Yeah, no, I mean, this takes it that step further. You know, it's a lot of the times it's that it's that kind of Jaws mentality. So it's what you don't see that really is disturbing and terrifying, you know, yeah. all the implications of it greatly enhance I mean, the violent nature of the film. I've seen some people who are like, oh, yeah. it's not violent. I was expecting more. And I'm like, you're entirely missing the point. It's, you know, I I think it's that, that funny games kind of logic as well, where it's, you know, people are just craving the violence and it's your job as the filmmaker mm-hmm. not to reward yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the restraint. Know. And I should say while we're still in here that we say it's Similar to, uh, what was it, First Reformed, and they both have kind of taxi driver DNA in them, right? Yeah, well, obviously with First Reformed, because, you know, Paul Schrader wrote both of them. and it's... But this one's even more similar, possibly. Potentially, there's there's definitely that theme of, you know, you've got the uh, vigilante character going around and, you know, doing what he feels is right and rescuing these girls, but it's very different in that you don't get the sense that uh, he's a terrorist in any sense. <laughs> Yeah, Walking Phoenix's yeah, character. he's not a terrorist. No, unlike it's Travis Bickle. <laughs> you also bring up Psycho and that moment where he's like standing outside his mom's door doing like the ah, ah, like well, the Psycho. Hey, that, that, was, that was a funny thing. Like I I brought that up independently of that, but there there is an inherent reference in the film to Psycho. I don't know if that's an intentional nod, like with the score as well, but it, it very much reminded me of Psycho in that sense with the score, independent. I of mean. The, 
reference. I think we say these things not that it's derivative of them either. No, I think it's uniquely yeah. independent. I think Lynn Ramsey is the best director we have going right now that's currently directing good stuff. Um, and that's an important thing to recognize as well, female directors here, you know, having that yeah, representation. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so nice that we got at least two foreign films in this list, and we got some female directors, got foreign directors, we got a horror movie, we got a kids movie. I think it's a really strong list for this reason. Um, I think this is the best representation of 2018. I yeah. think you'll see with our with our main one why that's in there instead, but um, I think this is the best 2018, or the most 2018 film in here. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Uh... And again, it's a really great performance from Joaquin Phoenix, who is killing it lately. He's really, you know, uh, showing off how well he can act in a lot of stuff recently. But this he one... almost seems to be channeling like River Phoenix during some of these more intense <laughs> roles, mm-hmm. especially with like uh, uh, his work with the uh, Gus Van Sant. Of course, you know that River Phoenix was very good in Gus Van Sant's My Own Private Idaho, and then uh, you know Joaquin kind of. Felt like he was almost surprising him and uh don't worry. Um, what's it called? Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Won't get far on foot. Won't get far on foot, yeah. Which is also this year, another group performers you said from him, but probably not quite as great as you were never really here, I imagine. No, I think that's my favorite uh male performance of the year. It's intense mm-hmm. and it's doesn't take was, a lot of words. This is overall your favorite film of the year, I know personally as well. Oh, by far, it's my favorite, so that's that's why. And it was Kevin's until he saw the favorite, so that's kind of why it's sneaked up here so high. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it quite a lot as well. I gave it a, a great rating, but not a perfect one. And um, I think it's well worth checking out also on Amazon. Yes, I this one was an important movie. This one was an Amazon-funded film as well, and like some of the other ones, so I don't think it's going anywhere off Amazon. Which is unbelievable to me that they're taking such big risks that they'd fund the gal that filmed Ratcatcher and we need to talk about Kevin and all this good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Amazon actually funds a lot of great films that I think we don't even think about as well. One of my favorite films from recent years, uh, I mean, they funded both, uh, I think they were both in 2016, both Swiss Army Man and Patterson, which are both some of my favorite films of the last 10 years or so, and they're both on Amazon. And they're great, mm-hmm. great films, and they're not studio films by any sense. You know, they're they're very much a product yeah, of their seem, directors. They seem to have a really good team that's picking the right projects and funding some pretty good stuff. So I'm happy with them this year. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about you were never really here before we move on to our number one? I know you have a lot to say and think about, and we'll have to, of course, revisit it sometime in the future, but. I mean, I plan to write a lot about it. I watched it again yesterday just to make sure, and I think it, it even improved in my head. Uh, there were things that stood out to me, like, uh, well, you were talking about the underwater shot, like Night of the Hunter, and that's yeah, the most gorgeous that, shot of the year, I think. I absolutely agree. Like, uh, that moment in the film was probably the most powerful to me, and it really stood out as this amazingly artistic moment and a uh, heartfelt one, too. But other than that, I think I'm... Good to move on to our uh, number one. Okay, I think our number one pick is going to be super unique. Not only do I not see this film talked about on any, you know, list for 2018 or anything. I don't even know if people count this as a 2018 movie. <laughs> I don't think they do, but I don't know what you'd count it as. Yeah, it's it's a, an entirely different kind of pick, but it came out in 2018, so technically it counts. And really, it, it deserves the recognition we're giving it, just by the merit of nobody else talking about it 
uh, or mentioning other lists, it deserves its number one spot. And I think also because it is one of the um, whether or not it was entirely filmed, it wasn't even filmed this year. But of course, it, it well actually still feels innovative. Actually, I would like to point out that there are a couple shots in it that were filmed this year. But anyway, oh, we should we should probably say what it is. Yes, we should. We so, so our number one pick of the year is Orson Welles' The Other Side of the Wind. Jay can't afford the Ernest Hemingway of the cinema. Mr. Hannaford, I just want to know what he represents. The man is infested with disciples. I'm the apostle. Just like me and God, how could you tell us apart? Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Mr. Hannaford, could you please slow down? Mr. Hannaford! What he creates, he has to wreck. It's a compulsion. Want me to bring you another spot? <laughs> we'll have our own movies. Our real movies. The other side of the movie. Which did come out this year, on November 2nd, even though it was shot in the 70s. And this isn't like a gotcha pick. This is your favorite film of the year. My second favorite. Uh, one of Kevin's. Uh, Kevin's pretty high on it. Yeah. It was, uh, I, th- I think everyone except uh, Graham was very high on it. And I think Graham's rating was only so low was because he was very taken by the film. Taken back. You know, it's, it's hard to. I can't blame anyone who doesn't rate this film well necessarily because or at least the people who recognize that I didn't necessarily get this in one viewing because it is a complex and confusing film yeah I mean uh, there's there's a lot to process in it so I don't blame anyone who comes a little bit low on it I think it's also a very challenging film so I don't think it always wants you to love it no I, I think certainly that's the case and we talked a lot about this before we I mean I think just by virtue of how much we talk about it, it also deserves its number one spot. We have an entire podcast dedicated to it. I have my own review up on the site for it. Um, you know, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about the film itself, but I do want to kind of talk about why we feel like it's important in this spot specifically, why it deserves number one. Uh, yeah, I think it's well-deserving and representative of around the type time that our site launched also that was the big film the first big film we got so i think it i think it's a good match and something that's being completely underserved by other audiences if even covered yeah and i think that was a lot to do with the lack of uh marketing it got kind of as well i remember when that trailer first hit that was my favorite trailer of the year uh I was entirely sucked in by this. This was, you know, the first time we got a peek at a lot of the footage that's in there. And the trailer just made it look all so amazing while not telling you anything about it. And I was impatient for November to come around because of it. And when it did come around, there was no more buzz about it. Nobody talked about it. You know, it wasn't even on Netflix's front page when I went up to watch it that morning. I haven't seen it ever on Netflix's front page since then either. No, I I haven't either. I was very upset about that. I feel Netflix's... Spent all this money and time and energy funding the completion of this film that's been struggling to get made, you know, finished for 40 years. And they just kind of released it quietly. No big deal. Well, I feel like this one is kind of something you do for prestige, right? We have the Orson Welles film. We know that there's a core audience like us that are pretty hardcore about this stuff. <laughs> the, you know, the CNES and the people that really, really care about film, they're going to go watch it anyway. Like, yeah, well, they I put know. Roma 
on their front page and it still doesn't get viewed. They don't do anything with Bird Box and that's all we fucking hear about for a month. So oh my it's god, hard to that, say. I can't understand the advertising campaign for that. But I think yeah, the the idea of Netflix acquiring um, uh, the other side of the wind was entirely a move to kind of grab in different types of fan bases as well. Because at the same time, they also grabbed up the streaming rights to some stuff like uh, other Orson Welles stuff like The Stranger and The Third mm. Man and Touch of Evil all available to stream on Netflix to kind of work with that. So people have, you know, who don't necessarily like a lot of the new content have incentive to get Netflix still. And that was, I think, the uh, the move behind that. Regardless mm-hmm. of whether that's a good thing to do or not, I'm just glad that it's happened and done. I'm forever grateful to Netflix for finishing The Other Side of the Wind. I think it was strange timing, too, that we talk about things happened this year. We had the ending of Filmstruck within that month as well, and kind of uh, uh, Netflix showing that they were capable of doing these passion art projects that, you know, are a little bit outside the scope of something like Bird Box that they usually do. Right. I think the other significant reason why we wanted to choose it for this law as well is, again, just because of how momentous we feel the completion of the other side of the wind is you know and how big a deal in our collective circles this was even if there wasn't a lot of buzz even outside of our usual discussions i know for myself who became a huge orson wells fan over this year in anticipation of it and watched all his films leading up into this that this was the 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 height of my cinematic experience this year uh, i even though i'm I'm strongly in favor of You Were Never Really Here. There is a thing where I've also watched this three times and would watch documentaries about it. There are a couple on Netflix that are worth it. And there aren't any other films on here that I'd probably spend a lot of time kind of poking around doing a lot of background on. Right. And that's the thing is that there is so much to learn about this film outside of the film itself with the 40 years of production trouble, the uh, different reads on the various films, the implications that, you know are left on the film now with Wells's passing and, you know, the kind of uh, parallels to his own life in there. There's a lot of different things to see in The Other Side of the Wind, whether or not you even enjoy the film, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But I think just the... the there, there's also an inherent personal connection I had to it as well because I had a very special privilege in going and seeing the film. And I won't lie, I advocated hard for this film for Film of the Year. I loved You Were Never Really Here a lot as well, but th- this one just felt so much more special i don't know if i'll ever have an experience like watching those side of the wind again because i don't i think the i think the clear thing is we're not ever going to have an experience where orson welles releases a picture again no i mean that was the biggest thing i was like why is nobody talking about this this is the final (laughs) film of orson welles that's finally getting completed like it's been lost nobody has seen this why is everyone not freaking the hell out I mean, I I mean, I can almost guarantee that's not going to happen in our lifetime unless someone finds some stuff we don't know about. So there's, no. you know, it's it, important to highlight this shit, and no other site's doing it, so we have to. Like nobody's going to come around and dig up a Bernardo Budlucci film and say, "Hey, here was this <laughs> thing that we didn't know about before, and it's yeah. finished. It, it was hidden somewhere." Like that's not going right. to happen. No, and nobody's going to fund that either. I mean, there's something about Wells that people look at. They look at Citizen Kane. They see, you know the best things that cinema has to offer and that's part of what we want to highlight that yeah it's also i, I think it's also a accumulation it's overall contribution that we're kind of looking at sort of like the oscars do right like we look at lynn ramsey and she has like a whole string of the best films of the last decade yeah and i think it's you know 
it almost only feels appropriate. Like, how can you name... If there's a new Orson Welles film out, how is that not the best film of the year? Go look at any <laughs> film, any year an Orson Welles film came out and say, yep, that was the best one that came out that year, you know? But have you seen Black Panther? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that movie has its own merits as well, but, you know, it's important for us to recognize something like this. And I think, you know, again, the important thing is because it's gotten so little exposure, but it also could just be from, you know, like someone else's perspective. Like there will be other people who are going to recognize, you know, something like a Black Panther or like a Black Clansman or something or, you know, any of those other more representation-focused films as more important to them. Whereas... You know, we have our own collective opinions, and, you know, something like an Orson Welles film seems more inherently important to uh, cinema, you know, for yeah, us. Yeah, and I I feel good topping the list with it, and I think it's something where a uh, film of the year could highlight something that we feel you need to go watch right now. If there's any film on the list I think you should watch, it's this one. Mm-hmm. Though I do think that uh, you should see a couple things before you see the other side of the wind yeah do you want to give a little uh list on what you feel people should see yeah well especially in the context of orson welles and that's the thing is that the other side of the wind is a film that is burdened with a lot of needed context you know you can't just walk into this film like it was a marvel movie or anything else this is a highly innovative very different film from anything that's been made then or even since then like in the 40 years since wells had this crazy idea of you know piecing together a film from all these like documentary footage that you know he kind of shot in this style even stuff that came after that in that same uh, idea is not even close to what he's doing here it's chaotic and frenetic and difficult to keep up with but if you want to understand it just from a, a perspective of wells and where he'd come as a filmmaker i'd say at the very least you want to watch citizen kane because if you haven't watched it yet you can't even really begin to appreciate the breadth of cinema if you haven't watched Citizen Kane. It sounds cliche to say, but it it is essentially the most highly influential film of all time. There's a reason why it's talked about as the greatest film ever, even if it is not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Go see Citizen Kane if you haven't already. And, just... uh, you should probably also watch F for Fake if you're going to watch this. Yes, uh, F for Fake is the film that preceded uh, the making of The Other Side of the Wind. It has a highly innovative editing style that Wells implemented. It's not a conventionally narrative film. It's more of a video essay documentary kind of thing. It's very different, very weird. Even if you don't necessarily understand it fully the first time, it kind of informs a little bit about The Other Side of the Wind. And I'd also recommend something like uh, Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil is probably the most uh, accessible of all of Wells's films. Um, you know, it's the most kind of commercially appealing and successful film that he had, and one of his most beloved as well. One of mine, certainly, and, um, you know, it, it, you still get all of the Wellsian things about it without it getting too uh, complex or, you know, artistic. Uh, it was one of my favorites. I, I only, shockingly, uh, only saw it for the first time early this year, but I've watched it many times since then because <laughs> I have a habit of re-watching films, you know, when I should be watching new things. Yeah, hopefully we're, uh, I think we served a pretty good list here. I think I feel pretty confident about it. Should we read back what we have? Uh, sure, just go run down the top ten again real quick. At number ten, we have Paddington 2. Nine, we have Cold War. Eight, Lean on Pete. Seven, Thoroughbred. Six, Hereditary. Five, Burning. Four, First Reform. Three, The Favorite. Two, You Were Never Really Here. And one, The Other Side of the Wind. Yeah, and again, it's not going to match anyone else's list. I guarantee that. It's going to be very different in a lot of the choices. 
And but you know, I feel like we've supported each in their own individual way. We've selected them all for very good reasons. And I think it's important to kind of have those different picks sometimes. You know, we don't want to be the same as everyone else. And we want to have our own personal feelings injected into our list. Yeah, and I feel like that is a good uh, overview of the things that matter to us in 2018, the things that represented the best of platforms and that we could give a voice to. Yeah. So I'll be excited to look forward to 2019 and see what we have. I think after this, we're going to switch back over to regular our regular programming for a little while. Uh, I'm not sure what movie we're going to talk about next, but we'll pick a good one, I promise. Uh, play it Misty. No, play we're Misty not. with me. <laughs> there's, there's too many good Clint Eastwood movies to talk about that crap. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes, I'm certain. Let's not do that again. If you want to talk Maybe about it, fine. Go write a review for me. Okay, I'm doing a solo podcast next week on... Play Misty for me. Play Misty for me, yeah. <laughs> That'll be depressing as fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. Alright. Uh, do we have anything else for today? No, I think that's good. I think we'll look forward to next week's. You know, I think we've talked long enough. Yeah, yeah, I think we're pushing it, so... Alright, man, thanks. Alright, we'll talk next week. See you, man. Play Misty for For Clint Eastwood, an invitation to terror. You ever find yourself being completely smothered by somebody? There's no escape in passion. There's no escape in speed. There's no escape from terror. The most terrifying words you'll ever hear. Play Misty for me. The screen's most frightening plunge into terror.